Alex Mosehead, and welcome to Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle to fight back and win against big tech. Lead off topic for us today, on that note, to fight back and win against big tech, you guessed it, uh, Facebook is no longer Facebook, they are now meta. We're going to dive into that one. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to show you clips of the 6 minute and 40 second video that Zuckerberg probably had to do like 40 takes of this video to get it, you know, uh, uh, scripted properly for him and his handlers uh, liking. So we're going to dive into that and some other better video than the Zuckerberg scripted video. Also, you know, Zuckerberg's getting squeezed, right? This meta thing didn't come out of anywhere, nowhere. Um, we're going to talk about Apple, its ads, its benefit from squeezing the Zuck. Lastly, we're going to close out with why inflation is bad. Not Not is inflation bad or why is inflation, you know, but it, not as a question, just inflation is bad and here is why. Just to set the level, read the record straight, I was on uh, Bloomberg earlier this week and, you know, before I, before I went on for my interview, I was talking about Facebook, actually. Before I went on, you know, they, they, the clip they were playing before I went on was basically a compilation of all the different guests that had been on Bloomberg, I guess, in the past few weeks basically trying to dispel the notion that inflation is bad and that, you know, inflation wasn't the big bad boogeyman that everyone makes it out to be. And it really shook me in a very bad way. I really did not appreciate that content. I felt like that content, you could call it blasphemous and, and really doing a disservice to people, to the economy, to the country, the world. So, Here's my take at the end. We're going to close out with why inflation is bad. It's crazy to think that the, the, that's like a somewhat uh, hot button topic, but you know, that's the state of the world these days. So let's jump in. Zucky. Yes, you've heard probably by now, Facebook is now Meta. Uh, that's their new name. And before I jump to this video, which is the Zuckerberg six minute, 40 second video, we're going to start off with a better version of what he's actually trying to describe. Yes, um, there is a movie made about this uh, by a guy you may have heard of named Steven Spielberg. This really should have been the intro that, that Zuckerberg led with to describe what he's trying to get at with, with Meta. If this was the video, sign me up. But it, it wasn't the video, just FYI. I was born in 2027. After the corn syrup droughts, after the bandwidth riots, after people stopped trying to fix problems and just tried to outlive them. My parents, they didn't make it through those times. So I live here in Columbus, Ohio with my Aunt Alice. In 2045, Columbus is the fastest growing city on earth. It's where Halliday and Morrow started gregarious games. That's who Zuckerberg wants to be, is Halliday. These days, reality is a bummer. Everyone's looking for a way to escape. And that's why Halliday that's why he was such a hero to us. You don't need a destination when you're running on an omnidirectional treadmill with quadraphonic pressure-sensitive underlay. James Halliday saw the future, and then he built it. He gave us a place to go, a place called the Oasis. The Metaverse. This is the Oasis. Minecraft. It's a place where the limits of reality are your own imagination.
can do anything. Go anywhere. Like the vacation planet. Surf a 50-foot monster wave in Hawaii. You can ski down the pyramids. You can climb Mount Everest with Batman. Check out this place. It's a casino the size of a planet. You can lose your money there. You can get married. You can get divorced. You can, you can go in there. People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do, but they stay because of all the things they can be. Okay, you get the idea. Now, this is Zuckerberg's description. Interesting that they put Minecraft in there. Minecraft is trying to be a contender to go after the metaverse, just like Roblox is as well. There's, there's multiple players trying to go after this vision. It's the next chapter for our company too. So I've been thinking a lot about what this means for our company and who we are as we embark on this journey. We're a company that focuses on connecting people. While most other tech companies focus on how people interact with technology, we focus on building technology so people can interact with each other. Kind of like uh, Ready Player One, where they're saying, yeah, you know, you're here to meet other people. You can be whoever you want. You can, you know, meet all these people and get married and get divorced. So, yeah, you know, basically Zuckerberg just talks about that for the next minute and a half. And then cue jab at Apple. Here we are in 2021 and our devices are still designed around apps, not people. The experiences we're allowed to build and use are more tightly controlled than ever. And high taxes on creative new ideas are stifling. Damn you, Tim Cook. Ah. Watch this, right? Like this person. That person sitting there. This person walking. That's not by, that's script, right? These people are plants. They may be employees, but they have been told, <laughs> hey, Q, walk behind him right now. None of this is done just uh, casually Zuckerberg walking through the office. Building our social media apps will always be an important focus for us. But right now, our brand is so tightly linked to one product that it can't possibly represent everything that we're doing today, let alone in the future. Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company. And I want to anchor our work and our identity on what we are building towards. We just announced that we are making a fundamental change to our company. We are now looking at and reporting on our business as two different segments. One for our family of apps, and one for our work on future platforms. And as part of this, it is time for us to adopt a new company brand to encompass everything that we do. To reflect who we are and what we hope to build, I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. How many ayahuasca trips did this guy go on to come up with that name? Man, they're now Meta. Wow. Really original because it's not like for the past, I don't know, 20 years, Roblox has been calling it the metaverse. It's literally, you know, you listen to the movie, Steven Spielberg movie, talking about the metaverse. Okay, Facebook is now meta. All right. Now, they got a long way to go to really deliver on that vision. I will give him credit. You know, this, I think, is actually a great example of what happens when you have a founder-led uh, tech company 
tech monopoly like Facebook, right? This is a big, big shift. Alphabet changed their name similarly, but kind of more so, I, I think, just to give them range and optionality and not be constricted around Google. I think part of the reason they're doing this is, yes, to give them that flexibility. They've got a family of apps, as Zuckerberg said. But I think more importantly, really saying, staking the future to say, we want to own this new future, this metaverse future. That I really like. That I really think takes guts. You can really see that he's going all in on this. He's reorging the business. He's changing the name of the business. And they can't use M&A to just go buy Roblox, which would be the easiest way to go after this thing. No, they got to do it from scratch because they got both, both hands tied behind their back thanks to increased FTC and, and DOJ scrutiny on any M&A activity that, that Facebook would entertain, especially something as big as like buying a Roblox. So they got their work cut out for them. Take this image, right? Store that in your brain. And then here's what I see. Shareholders won't be happy. It's not our job to make them happy. It's our job to make them money. But once we launch this little baby, they're going to flip. We call this Pure O2. This is the first of our planned upgrades once we can roll back some of Holiday's ad restrictions. We estimate we can sell up to 80% of an individual's visual field before inducing seizures. <laughs> right? Um... That is the villain in, in the Spielberg movie in Ready Player One uh, talking about how they can put 80% of ads all over your, you know, your, your goggle, right? Um, even though it's going to make a horrible experience in it, but it's going to make them a bunch of money, right? So we all know that if Facebook is successful in capturing the metaverse, not only are they going to do content censorship, which is very hypocritical of Zuckerberg to say, oh, the app store is so restrictive, or they're putting all these high taxes in and restraining creativity when they are, I would argue, a bigger proponent of aggressive content censorship and have done way worse than Apple in the, in the field of censoring creativity. Absolutely. It's not even close. So Zuckerberg's a big hypocrite for that. A and B, you know, right, we've seen now co-founders of WhatsApp, leave because they disagreed with Facebook's approach and, and ads and spying on users' data and right because WhatsApp was encrypted and, and, and doing all these things around privacy. The founders left. They didn't want to be a part of that vision. And you've, you've consistently seen, whether it's Instagram founder, right? You've seen these who have become billionaires by being acquired by Facebook, but you've seen them leave the, the Zuck because they don't agree with you know, ultimately how Facebook treats its users' data and ultimately is, is using that data to sell ads. Yet, you know, he takes pot shots at, at Apple and, and uh, <clears throat> Tim Cook for being too restrictive and, and constraining creativity. Okay, okay, Crimea River. And if this is the future that you want to see, then I hope that you will join us because the future is going to be beyond anything we can imagine. Well, there you go. You, you heard it from the horse's mouth. Do I like the future vision? I do. Do I like it to happen through Facebook? No, I don't. What would I do? I'd probably, in full disclosure, I've already done this, and it's also in Plat, our ETF with Wisdom Tree that, that puts all the public platform stocks into a, 
into an index. Roblox is the clear target to either do this themselves or have some larger player buy them. Although, as I've talked about, you know, the, the large tech monopolies are much more challenged to do M&A, particularly M&A at that size, right? Roblox, way up on this news, uh, 50 billion market cap. You know, you can see the stock has been, you know, up and down since it IPO'd earlier this year in March. But, you know, net-net still up from where it IPO'd and, and certainly up basically on the news that Facebook's entire future is what Roblox has built. And here's the, here's the thing, right? Roblox was founded in 2004. They've been working on this for 17 years. And all the stuff that Zuckerberg complains about, right? Like that the app store is too restrictive. Roblox and Minecraft for that matter, they already have their own app store within an app store, right? You can go onto the iOS app, onto the Android Roblox app. You click into that and there are thousands of other games right within the Roblox app. And that technically is supposed to be a violation of the app store rules. But because Roblox has been building that business long before the iPhone came along and has been building that business successfully on other development platforms, they are not reliant on an iPhone, on an iOS, on an Android to accept their business model, right? And that gave them the leverage to, to have an iOS, to have an Android allow for a Roblox to be approved in that fashion on the iPhone or the Android. So, you know, Zuckerberg can complain all he wants. There's precedent of the, the thing he is decrying actually being approved, A, and B, it's clear the guy's a hypocrite and is doing way more censorship relative to what, what you would say Apple or, or, or Android is doing. Google's a whole other story of censorship on Google search and YouTube, whole other story. But specifically Android, uh, Zuckerberg definitely takes the cake. We just don't want 80% ads from Zuckerberg on our, you know, video uh, um, screen in front of my eyes, uh, which we all know is, is where Zuckerberg will take this thing and not to mention censor us and try to control what we think at every moment we're in his, his universe. God, I'm running away from that the more I think about it. But I do give him credit for, you know, for, for the, the entrepreneur spirit. But much more than that, no. Stay far away. 10-foot pole. Yeah, no, 100-foot pole. Okay. Next topic, though, is, so this was really interesting. So you heard Zuckerberg take a couple shots uh, at Tim Cook and iOS. Yes, you know, Tim Cook and Apple are not altruistic. They are definitely here to make money, just like uh, the villain in Ready Player One, just like Zuckerberg. They're here to make money. So we've all heard about how Apple ratcheted up its privacy restrictions to protect the individual, the users on the iPhone, and that they're going to make it much more difficult for certain types of cookies and tracking, uh, tracking you between different apps, right? Which is all what Facebook and, and Google have been doing. These are ad-driven businesses, right? So Apple basically nuked a lot of that tracking. And what it's done is it's really hurt Facebook's ability to monetize because its ads aren't as effective, right? If, they, if their tech isn't as good, if they aren't able to follow you through all your you know, different journeys on your phone, 
in your in your uh, different Apple products, that's going to hurt their ability to serve you an ad that gets you to convert or buy or click or whatever it is, right? That's ultimately how Facebook makes more money. This was in their earnings call. I actually spoke about this on the Bloomberg uh, interview that I did. This is definitely hurting them. Sheryl Sandberg has admitted that it's hurting them and they don't really have a good answer about what to do. There's really not much they can do, although they're saying, yeah, we're working on it. We'll figure it out. Sure. But here's the interesting piece here. This is a, a chart looking at um, Apple's ads. And uh, if you see this chart here, so this dark blue at the bottom is Apple's ads share of share of total install percentages, right? So Apple's ad network is really just restricted to downloading apps. And that's actually one of the biggest ad formats on a Facebook is you know, uh, um, ads that then result in you downloading an app, huge part of their ad business. But, you know, you got to remember there are a variety of different kinds of ad units and ad products that Facebook has, like buying, buying e-commerce products or buying clothing, right? Buying products. There's a lot of different kinds or getting followers, right? There's a lot of different kinds of ads. So this is really looking at that specific kind of ad unit, which is to download apps. So share of total install percentages. And look at that. Look at that. You can see here from October 2019, um, Apple and maybe like the sub 10% share of total install percentages from Apple search ads, right? Now, September of 21, hitting over 50%, sub six, you know, maybe it looks like 55% all iPhone app downloads from ad clicks. So these are ads, these are app downloads on Apple iPhone devices. So not Google Android, right? That makes sense. But you can see that it's tripled its share of the mobile app advertising market within six months of introducing these privacy changes. So yes, Apple is a direct beneficiary monetarily by protecting users' privacy so yes, you know, you got to remember this isn't just for the sake of protecting users. Apple directly makes more money. Uh, triple the amount of money from its, actually, if you want to put a number on it, triple the amount of money uh, from their ad network to help people download apps. So that was a really interesting angle on all of this kind of privacy, ad privacy stuff. Follow the money, gang. Follow the money. Okay. So last topic is this topic that I had uh, talked about a um, couple times, which is around inflation. And, um, you know, this inflation topic is very, I don't know, it's just, it's important it's a subject which can seem very complex and can confuse, but let me try and simplify it and explain why when you have shows like on Bloomberg or different media networks telling its viewers, not, don't worry about inflation and that if, you know, High inflation is not something to be concerned about was essentially the message they're getting across. It's a very disturbing message. So um, if I rewind all the way back to my high school days, 
went to a fancy boarding school. And in this fancy boarding school, I was very good at econ classes. Got the top grades in my econ classes. Really loved the subject of um, macroeconomics, microeconomics. They had these AP tests. Um, I, you know, when you're going into college, you can take the test, right? Uh, when you're in high school still, and I think they grade you on a, on, a, on a scale of one to five. And so I finished the test, I think the fastest out of everyone taking the test. I aced it. I got fives on all the, on, you know, I think there was maybe two macro and micro econ AP tests. Aced it, which means I didn't have to take the classes in college because I kind of ranked out of it, right? I kind of knew enough to say, well, you don't have to take the, you can get the credits in college basically without taking the class. So wonderful. But I finished it like 30 minutes early. I walked out before everyone else. Done. Boom. And I, and I really liked the topic. And so I remember, this is now many years ago, but I remember being in the class, right? And hearing that the Fed's sole, the Fed, which is the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank of the United States, which is not actually um, a quote unquote government property. This is an independent entity which has its own autonomy, has its own ability to make rules, has its own ability to basically control the supply of dollars. So um, there's quantitative tightening and quantitative easing, which basically means the Fed is printing money or taking dollars out of the money supply. So we've talked a lot about how China is printing money, um, M2, the supply of money in the economy. So the Fed can, you know, has a couple big levers. They can pump money in into the money supply or take money out of the money supply by either, you know, issuing debt or buying debt. They basically can print infinite amounts of debt. You know, they can they have like an infinite balance sheet as long as the public will trust in the Fed basically, which we've seen now uh, tested to the tune of many, many trillions of dollars. And then they can raise uh interest rates. So, um uh, basically they can raise the rate that banks then use to to lend from the Fed, right? So the central bank is like the metaverse of large banks, right? So JP Morgan and Bank of America and all these large banks, they're the interest rates that they charge is a function of the what what interest rate the Fed sets, right? So if the Fed sets it at 2%, you know, your JP Morgan is going to give you some version of 2% plus X, depending upon what kind of loan and how good your credit is and all this kind of stuff, right? That's my overgeneralized version of the two major functions of the Fed, setting interest rates and controlling money supply. And so the stated objective of the Fed, I remember this been for, for decades now, going back to my high school days, has been to control the rate of inflation and to keep the rate of inflation. I remember like 3% was really the upper maximum that the Fed would really want. You know, I've now just done some Googling and looked up some articles, you know, so if you look at these, the primary job of the Federal Reserve is to control inflation. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what I remember. Uh, while avoiding a recession, it does this with monetary policy to control inf inflation. The Fed must use monetary policy to slow economic growth. The ideal economic growth rate is between two to three percent. So other article here, this is actually from the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. So there are different regional federal reserves. So the main board of the Fed, you have the Fed chairman, Jerome Powell, and then each of the different banks like the New York Fed, the Cleveland Fed, 
Um, there's, you know, different regional Federal Reserve banks. And then the heads of those regional banks, plus Jerome Powell, essentially make up the like executive committee of the Federal Reserve Bank overall. This, art, this is actually from the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland's website. And they say, why does the Fed care about inflation? Some countries have experienced such high inflation rates that their money became worthless. Imagine going to the store with boxes full of money and not being able to buy anything with it because prices have gotten so high. At such high inflation rates, the economy tends to break down. The Federal Reserve, like other central banks, was established to foster economic prosperity and social welfare. Part of the mission given to the Federal Reserve by Congress, even though it's independent, is to keep prices stable. That is, to keep prices from rising or falling too quickly. The Federal Reserve, this is from the Central Bank of Cleveland website, the Federal Reserve sees a rate of inflation of 2% per year as the right amount of inflation. So actually lower. I was thinking three. This thing says two. So they control this by influencing interest rates. And when inflation is too high, Federal Reserve typically raises interest rates to slow the economy and bring inflation down. So why inflation is really bad is it if, as this article from the Fed actually says, if inflation goes unchecked, it means that your dollar becomes weaker, your purchasing power goes down. So why this is really devastating is once you kind of have four, five, six plus percent inflation, which by the way, we're over 5%, um, you go read these articles that say, now, now, they're trying to, now they're trying to nuance inflation. Now they're trying to say, oh, core inflation is like 3.7%. What the hell is core inflation? They're just making things up as they go. Inflation is over 5%. They told us that was going to be transitory. If you rewind to early 2021, go check the tape. They're going to say, oh, we're going to have maybe 5% inflation, but it's going, to, it's going to go down after the summer. You know, it's going to go down in the fall. Well, that didn't happen. Now, Jerome Powell's changing his tune and saying, oh, well, we still are frustrated. We're frustrated by inflation. We think we still see inflationary pressures going into 2022. As I've covered on the show, long before Jerome Powell has stated it, for now, I had going back, I had Jim Rickards on the show in January of this year, and we were talking about this exact subject that inflation is here. It's not going anywhere, and it's a big problem. They are still doubting, Jerome and his group, uh, the official talking point is to not worry about inflation. Inflation is going to go down. We still see it going into 2022, but it's going to come down. Problem with this is it's like once you open Pandora's box, you can't close it. Once the cat's out of the bag, you can't put the cat back in the bag. Whatever analogy you want to use, once inflation starts to really go into these high single digits, the problems start to compound upon themselves and it becomes very destructive. And so what I mean by that is when you have that level of inflation and you look at your wages, if you're making, you know, I think the median wage is like 50 something thousand dollars, right? Make $50,000 a year. Now inflation's going up 5%, 6%, 7% or more. <sighs> wow. That means that your purchasing power, your wages aren't going up by 5%. And if they are, that means that it, that means it's going to compound upon itself. If your wages are going up by 5%, um, then that means inflation is only going to go up more because now this is a vicious cycle. And so what that means is your purchasing power is diluted. And that means that just buying everyday things, 
and living an everyday life becomes a lot more challenging. And so, you know, for the lower to middle class in the United States, high inflation, where you now, you know, you don't have enough money to invest to kind of get out in front of this to um, invest and kind of prepare yourself for inflation. It's a real, it's a real big problem. So when people start saying on the news, don't worry about inflation, companies can still make a lot of profit, the stock market's going to be okay, don't worry about inflation. Honestly, it it's a really disingenuous thing to say there will be tens of millions of Americans that will be severely harmed and really struggle even more than they are today to just get by. You could say, well, you know, the government will be there to help them out. We've seen how this story goes, right? Oh, great. Just give more government assistance. Just do what? Oh, yeah. Print more money. So you print more money, which is what we're doing. We're just printing, printing trillions and trillions of dollars. So how do you actually counter and slow down inflation if the solution is just print more money and give more assistance to um, people that are hard hit by inflation who are in the lower to middle classes and number tens of millions of people? Mm, that's right. You're actually just now continuing to do what? Yes, compound the problem. And now inflation just keeps on accelerating. And now you're really stuck. And that goes back to the point of what this article from the Cleveland Fed says is you need to raise interest rates. You need to make it more expensive to borrow money. You need to reduce the amount of money in the, in the money supply. Do quantitative tightening, right? The problem with doing that and why the Federal Reserve and the, the government doesn't want that to happen is because the moment that happens, all this stock market growth, all this you know, uh, um, GDP growth, which isn't what it should have been, but it, you know, it's, it's, this economy and the amount of money we're printing has given a big jolt to the economy. The moment we start to see the Fed raise interest rates in a material way, the bottom's going to fall out of this thing. And markets are going to get scared. People are going to stop lending. Interest rates are going to, you know, the, the, the ability to get a loan, to, to go buy a house, to go buy a car, to do all these things that then fuel growth and GDP and all these things that everyone loves, have a, a growing economy. Those then get hit, right? And that's what this point is here is when inflation is too high, the Federal Reserve typically raises interest rates to slow the economy, to slow the economy. Um, that's what this other article is saying, right? It uses contractionary monetary policy to slow economic growth. Problem is, there's so much hot air in our economy right now. It's like uh, a big balloon. So the moment you slow that thing down, it's not like a gradual. It's not like a gradual um, slowing of the economy. It's like the big balloon popping. It's like your legs being pulled out from underneath you, and you face planting into the ground. You want to go look want to go do some of your own research on this topic, highly recommend you go watch this YouTube uh, documentary. It's free. It's called The Princes of the Yen. Go watch this video. Um, it's right here. It's amazing. Um, I don't even know how it's free and on YouTube. Uh, Princes of the Yen, uh, 2.9 million views, was published uh, in 2014. 
This is a film about the power of central banks. It talks about the history of the power of central banks. And, and it focuses in um, uh, very specifically on the role of the Japanese central bank in the 1980s, um, going into the early 90s. And um, how in the 80s, Japan had a period of insane growth. All the stock market was booming. The economy was on fire. It was all over, you know, all these business journals, right? Look at, look at Japan. We need to model Japan's economy. And it talks about the role of the central bank doing QE, quantitative easing, giving out cheap, 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 cheap debt to let people buy houses and buy homes and, and buy companies and, and do all these deals, right? And pump money into the economy. And so <clears throat> you had all this cheap money out there. But yeah, you were getting a lot of growth. And then the moment that the Japanese central bank started to raise interest rates and, and do QT tightening, oh, bad. Like, um, like depression level bad. Like, like, like really bad. Not recession. Like depression level bad in Japan in the early 1990s. You can go look all this stuff up. History repeats itself, gang. When you have this much hot air in the economy, you know, what do you do, right? You know that if you pump the brakes, things are really going to get bad, right? So what do you do? Well, I'll just keep, I'll just, I'll just keep printing money. We'll just keep this party going. There's a rub, right? Inflation. So it is the bigger rub to pump the brakes and then have the economy fall off a cliff and like worse than 08 level crash. What do you do? It's a series of very difficult decisions. But my point is that this stuff is inevitable, right? It can't keep going like this. Eventually, someone's going to come calling. And you can look through history and see what happens. And whenever you hear people poo-pooing or downplaying the negative impact of high inflation, like we're not planning to see, but are seeing today and are not seeing any sign of it slowing down, don't let them tell you to not worry about it. Don't let them tell you that it's not a big deal. Those people are possessed and are really doing a disservice. And I think many of them are smart and they know what they're doing and that's what makes it even worse. So that doesn't mean that you can't thrive in a hyperinflationary environment or even in a mega downturn. It means you got to plan and you got to get out in front of it. For those that don't have the means to have savings and invest and, and prepare themselves for this, they're in a much more difficult position to get out in front of it. And that is really what, why I feel so passionate about putting this out there is because people will be affected. And, and for a lot of people in this country, there really is not much that they can do, even if they see it coming, even if they don't know how, you know, even if they didn't take econ classes, they can feel that something isn't right. Um, and then what can they do? It's a very difficult position. So that's it for us today on Winner Take All. Thank you very much for joining us. I'll talk to you soon.